Now, back to Tesh Matters with Jeff Boggs. Phone lines are open. Reach out and touch Jeff at 367-1240. And we are back uh, straight up 11 o'clock here at Kane 107.5. Happy to be joined by State Representative Bo Boyer uh, following the conclusion of the most recent legislative session. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Jeff. Good morning. Good morning to all your listeners. Thank you for having me. By, by the way, did uh, you, you bid on anything? I ran into him uh, Saturday at the Live for uh, Live Like Liam golf tournament, uh, the event. Uh, we were both uh, looking at uh, items to do the silent bid with there. I, I didn't win any of the auction items. I, I put in a, a best effort, and uh, I got outbid on all of them. But uh, still spent some good monies for a good cause. Uh, it's amazing what they're doing uh, in the community in a good memory of Liam McDuff. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But uh, I was glad to run into you. Uh, due to get you in here after a legislative session. I appreciate you coming by. And I, I guess first and foremost, um, your uh, efforts, um, any things that were near and dear to your heart and how'd they do? Yeah, a, a couple of things. One that, uh, matter of fact, it was it was picked up by some of the news channels yesterday. Uh, we were able to work to, and, and I wasn't the author, but but it was brought to me and and I worked alongside of him. I was out of bills, so I got Representative Kenny Cox from North Louisiana um, and, and a local veteran, uh, Francis Darcy, that brought it to our attention. We basically passed a bill, and it was signed by the governor last week for disabled veterans to allow them to have a tuition exemption at all of our universities. There's a, there is a federal portion of the tuition that's paid for what's called post-9-11 veterans, and what we were able to do is to get the remainder of the tuition paid or, or waived by the state, and so our, our disabled veterans can now go to college uh, and have that tuition waived, and, and it's, you know, it's very much needed. They, they come back with, with battle scars. Some of them we can see, but a lot of them we can't, and anything we can do to help those veterans get back on their feet uh, is important. And so uh, I helped sh- even though it wasn't in my name, I helped shepherd it uh, around the, the, the legislature, and we were able to get it passed. So that was that was a really big one. Another one, and which some of your listeners might remember, a couple of years ago, we had a centralized sales tax constitutional amendment on the ballot that didn't make was not successful. And a lot of the reasons it wasn't successful was they were worried that we were going to have a lot of added bureaucracy to the state and bloat government. And so what we did is we, we made a simple change where we moved the technology that you that businesses use to remit their sales taxes to the Uniform Local Sales Tax Board, and we basically are going to demanding of them that they create a, a single system without creating any bureaucracy under the existing board to where our businesses who operate in multiple parishes will have a single point to be able to, to submit all their sales taxes, even though it's in multiple jurisdictions. One of the senators, when we were presented on that side, said this was the the biggest bill of the session that no one had heard of. Yeah, and, you're right. I, I remember it was a big deal in the previous session, and I didn't hear a word about it. Yeah, and we're hoping, that, we're hoping this will be a fix. Basically, what we'll be doing is going from 54 tax collections systems in the state down to two. You'll have one for all of your local municipalities, and you'll have one for the state. And essentially, on the local, the one that the locals will have, you also be able to submit your state taxes. So you'll have that single submission system at the end of the day. So that was that was a big big deal. You know, one of the concerns was uh, places like Lorville might get lost in the shuffle because of their zip code and 
Have those fears been relieved? Yeah, all the technology is there. We're using it on the for those vendors who are out of state who are doing business in Louisiana. We've already solved it for them. And so through technology, we're able to basically geofence or get a, a geocode on where that person is and to be able to get the exact uh, tax dollar amount that is due and the tax rate that is due. And so technology is amazing. And we just the system that the state has is is almost 20 years old. And so we need to get today's technology, and today's technology is going to make it happen. I'm being told that technology already exists for what we're trying to do, and there are vendors out there that are ready to provide the, the support and the systems that we need. So that was a really a real big one that we were excited to do. Um, another one, an election integrity bill that we had. Um, you know, you've heard about there's going to be a constitutional amendment that Representative Miguez had uh, to basically, he called it the Zuckerbucks bill, to keep private dollars out of our elections or to at least make to where it has to go through the state. We're trying to do the same. What do you mean by private? So if, if, if Jeff Boggs wanted to go and put $100,000 into to help support the Iberia Parish election system, basically what it would have to do is it would have to go through the state to make, get approval to make sure that it's, it's compliant with all of our election laws. You couldn't just give to whoever, any kind of municipality you want. Uh, and the thought there was it would it'll help to get out the vote in certain sec- sections of the state and not the entire state. And so we want to make sure it's done in a fair and balanced way. We're trying to do the, the bill that I had did the same thing with federal dollars and federal directives to make sure that the state approves how this money is being spent. The way the U.S. Constitution right, works is the states are in charge of our elections. There are certain federal laws and guidelines that we have to follow, but the state runs the elections. Right. So we're just trying to – and we've had, we've had good elections here in Louisiana, whereas – the rest of the country has had, had mishaps. We haven't had those issues in Louisiana, so we want to make sure. At least sure Tom Shedler will tell you so. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and so we want to make sure that we have all that, that uh, set straight in Louisiana, and both of Representative Miguez's bill does it and, and my bill does as well. Very good. I know you had an issue, uh, the, the fishing guys, talking about uh, Marsh Island. Yeah, that was that was the, the most fun to work on. So, you know, I've been born and raised here, been fishing out at Marsh Island all of my life. Uh, all of a sudden, Wildlife and Fisheries decided uh, that they wanted to have people check in and check out of Marsh Island when when you used it. In the first discussions, they said, well, look, it's only if you get on land. So if you go crabbing or shrimping at the, at the dams there at Marsh Island, you would have to check in and check out. But as I read the, the language more, if you were bird watching in Marsh Island in your boat, if you were fishing in your boat and you entered the canals in Marsh Island, you would be in violation if you didn't check in and check out. And technology out there is not great. Depending on who your wireless carrier is, you might not get a cell tower. So depending on where you are going in the island, you may have to go miles and miles out of your way, which, number one, could pose a safety threat depending on what the weather looks like. Um, And number two, it's just extremely inconvenient uh, for someone to have to go miles out of the way to check in at a physical station. Especially the cost of fuel these days. Absolutely. So what we did is we passed the resolution, and and, uh, the Wildlife and Fisheries is going to, be removing that uh, mandate, and so you'll still have to have your WMA permit, but you won't have to check in and out of Marsh Island or Rockefeller Refuge. I, I guess the idea was uh, by checking in, if they found some damage, some litter, they might be able to try and narrow down who uh, was the polluter or damager, you know, vandal. So, so in, in other WMAs, wildlife management areas, the reason they do it is a safety thing. If, if Jeff Boggs goes in hunting, 
and, you know, and checking in. They need to know that he's checked out. And you know, if, if you're hang, if you're in a tree stand somewhere and you're stuck, the bottom of your tree stand fell out. They need to know to send a search team out to find you. And there's also some safety with regards to you know how many people you have in the WMA at one time for hunting purposes. But there's no hunting on Marshall Island or on Rockefeller Refuge. They're refuges, so you can't do any hunting. Uh, so what they were arguing and what they were saying was that they were using the data to get federal funds for the refugees. Well, there are, you know, wildlife, I mean, Marshall Island is a, a private foundation that runs that island, and so we can use those dollars to get other, you know, um, federal dollars. We also have the program that, if you're familiar with, if you go to the boat landings, you have people checking to see, how, not wildlife agents, just monitoring what you're catching. At the same time, they're asking where you're catching the fish and whatnot. So if you come in with crabs or shrimp, they can ask you, that wildlife and fisheries, there's already a funding mechanism. So we can use those ty- It's called the L.A. Creel system. We can use L.A. Creel to find out how many people are going to Marsh Island or not. So there are other ways to do it besides putting the burden on our, our fishing enthusiasts. Gotcha. Anything else uh, near and dear? Uh, no, those, were, those were the big ones. I had a, a number of, of, of items that I carried, but those were, were some of the big ones. I had a, another one related to, to work with regards to the Uniform Transfer of Minors Act. Uh, but that's going to bore you listening, so I don't need to get into that <laughs> at all. But those those were those were the big ones that we were able to do that that I was part of. Anything that uh, was really disappointing to you that didn't work out? Well, the, I think the most disappointing thing of the session was probably how the session session ended. Yeah, um, that's uh, the last forty five minutes of it, especially I, on your side yeah, uh, of the chamber. Yeah, on the house side. Well, it it was it wasn't just the house's responsibility. The kind of the, the backstory is, you know, we, we ran out of time. When, when the bills came back from the Senate, they had over 1,000 amendments to the bills. And when they got to the, to, to the House side, our staff has to amend those bills, to put the, uh, write those bills to put those amendments in. And it was a cluster. I mean, and the time ran out on us. Even that day, as of, as of noon that day, staff was still putting amendments into the bill. And, and, and I'm not going to say the Senate did that on purpose, but it seemed as though that was the direction that they were heading. I, I will not accuse my Senate colleagues yes. of it, but <laughs> but I've heard that in the past that sometimes that can be a strategy. Um, and um, needless to say, the clock ran out. And if, if we didn't adjourn by 6 o'clock, we would have gone into a special session, and it was chaos. We didn't have time to be able to debate the bills uh, like we, we normally do. Last year we finished – a month ahead of time, so we had plenty of time to debate all the bills, and this time was not, and uh, it was it was chaos on the House floor. Uh, it was not one of our finest moments, and, and I think it overshadows what some of the good stuff that was done. So, I mean, you know, when you look at it, we paid off almost $700 million in retirement debt that the state owed. That's never been done before. Huge from a fiscal conservative standpoint. We have $2.7 billion now in savings in our rainy day fund and our budget stabilization fund. We can't, when I came in four years ago, we hardly had anything because there was a big rundown. If you remember when the .45 sales tax was debated a couple of years ago, they were using up all those ex- extra dollars. And so now we've got $2.7 billion, with a B, in savings. We, we passed a bill to, remove, to get rid of the franchise tax. We will, assuming that, that state revenue stays somewhere where they are right now, we will get it, be rid, getting rid of the franchise tax over the next five years. It's one of the worst taxes for Louisiana, and we finally, Senator Island, that was his bill uh, that he passed, and it's, that's huge for Louisiana. 
So all those wonderful things that we're able to accomplish are overshadowed by the last 45 minutes of, of pure chaos. Yeah, I think um, the current uh, leader of lobby, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, pretty much said those same things. There is a lot accomplished, but unfortunately overshadowed. Uh, you know, getting back to the re- uh, retiring some of the state debt, uh, there is also some hope in uh, the retirement system paying off some of that debt too. Is that associated? We did. We paid it. So that's that's what I'm talking about. Okay. So there was there's two retirement systems essentially in the state. You have lasers, which is all the public employees retire, and you have teachers, TRS, TRSL. When when the bill left the House of Representatives the first time, we were paying off the TRSL. And we would, and what that would have done is it would have freed up money on the local level to be able to give teacher pay raises on, on a local level. Uh, we opted to, the, the, I say we, the Senate changed that and, and got rid of that, that uh, TSRL payment. And we ended up basically paying off most of the lasers. We got more bang for our buck on the state general fund side of we didn't pass it to the locals. And instead what we did is we gave the teacher pay raise on the uh, on the state general fund instead of having the locals give it to it so uh you know kind of a different means but at the end of the day the teachers still get their pay raise and uh their concern is it's one time only at least uh, currently on face value it it is and so but what happened if you know in those last 45 minutes of that overshadowing representative sam jenkins uh, from north louisiana we passed a resolution that basically urged bessie to redo their mfp formula to mirror what we passed in the House hmm. and to basically incorporate that into next year's budget. So essentially giving them the raise. So on, at first glance on paper, it looks like it's a one-time raise, but, um, but it's not because of this urgent. Unless Bessie says, no, they don't want to do it, uh, then, then that would be a one-time. But I would surely think that Bessie would, com- would want to comply and make it a, a permanent raise. So it's kind of in Bessie's court. But uh, we were excited to be able to get the. But the, when you read the papers, it, yeah. on every one of them, it says one-time deal. And so they're taking it literal to kind of get the reaction of the viewers or the readers, I believe. All right. How about the infrastructure? Uh, did we benefit at all? No, infrastructure is, is huge. I mean, uh, and, and in our area. And when I say we, uh, our area. Our area, yeah. yep. And so we, we, we did re- really well from an infrastructure standpoint. Uh, one item that's been on the books for a long time has been the AGMAC uh, uh, dredging out of the Port of Iberia. We were able to get $20 more million moved up into that project, and if I'm not mistaken, that's going to complete the AGMAC project um, at, the, at the research center, uh, continue funding for the e- expansion over there at the research center to be able to do uh, more research there as well. Um, at, the port of, at the airport, uh, we were able to get some dollars for an expansion for AVEX. They're trying to build a new hangar for some extended employment or more employment opportunities there, which was, which was a big chunk of change. A really big one that uh, no one really talks about a whole lot, but you know, the crime lab for Acadiana is located here in Iberia Parish, and it spans eight parishes, and it's in deplorable uh, condition. And we were able to get almost $20 million to rebuild that crime lab here in Iberia Parish. I seem uh, to remember a local contribution being sought, though, by, among others, District Attorney Bo Dewey was going around talking to uh, people within his uh, three parishes. Yeah, no, Bo, Bo is the reason that we got the money. Yeah. I mean, he hustled and got everyone together. He did a, he did a bang-up job going from municipality to mis- municipality to get everybody to sign on. And so uh, we were able to, to, to get the funding for it, but Bo really hustled on all the local level. We took care of it on the state side, 
but Bo really hustled on all the local level to get everyone's buy-in. Another one, we were able to get some money for the Iberia Medical Center for their the North Hospital to do some renovations there for their psych ward. Um, the um, Again, the airport had a lot of benefit. The animal control shelter, we were able to get a million dollars there. The city of Generet, a bunch of sewer projects. Lowerville City Hall, um, to be able to get them a new city hall there. Uh, the Pepperplex, is it going to be injected with a million five uh, from, in cash for them to do? Is, is this Cruises all money there? that will arrive, or is it in some sort of capital outlay um, so, so level? Both. So both. So a lot of it is cash. Okay. So a lot of it is uh, from savings and, and, and from the general budget. Uh, some of it is um, going to be go to bonding. Have to, so, and all of it is still subject to the governor's veto pen. So right. the, w- it's passed the House and Senate where the governor could still veto uh, anything that it would like uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll be able to see from, from that standpoint. Also some projects along just Vermilion Bay, some shoreline protection and whatnot from, from that standpoint. But all in all, I mean, I think uh, our area has benefited tremendously uh, from, the, from the infrastructure dollars. And it's important for everyone to know these aren't reoccurring expenses. Everything that I just mentioned, these aren't reoccurring expenses for the state. These are one-time construction projects that are going to help out, help our community, help bring more jobs to our area, um, and help you know grow economic development in Iberia Parish, in and around Iberia Parish, and in around Acadiana. Yeah, the culture wars uh, have been uh, all over, not just Louisiana, but certainly Louisiana stuck their foot in it. Uh, your thoughts on some of those bills yeah. and where uh, those seem uh, likely, or many of those seem likely, to be uh, facing a challenge on the governor's desk. Yeah, we had, we had a bill with, with, with minors from uh, uh, puberty block, not being able to take puberty blockers to, to start going into a, a, a transition from a transgender standpoint. Uh, there was some uh, evidence that some of this was happening in Louisiana, although it might have been very minor or, or very seldom it was happening. And so we passed some bills to to try and put a stop to that, to make sure these children, they're of age to where they can make their own decisions and, and they aren't being made for them at a very young age while it might be a confusing part time in life. Um, there's three bills, basically, as it relates to, to, to those items, and the governor has said he's going to veto all of them. Uh, so he hasn't done that yet, but that's what we're hearing. You know, and they're completely different animals, uh, you know, changing uh, the gender of a child versus a vaccination. However, you know, some contended, especially during COVID, uh, some of your near and dear friends, I'm sure, uh, said, no, let the family make those health care decisions. But then in this case, they don't want the family to be able to make that decision. No, that you or... But again, they're completely... The difference between getting a vaccine and losing a piece of your genitalia, completely different animals. (laughs) But um, anyway, your thoughts there. No, you're right. And so... I think what it shows is, is sometimes in, in, in an extreme case like this, there is a role for the state to step in and do it uh, and, to, and to make that change. I think on a more general basis that it goes to vaccine and generalized health care, I think it is important for the families and the parents to be involved. But if, if you had, we had somebody testify that she knew at an early age that her child was trained. This was in the Louisiana capital. I'm not making this up. Yeah, this I is know. Not, I remember this the story. This is not another state. She knew that her child was transgender because he liked green leafy vegetables and cried a lot. I mean, so if, if you have someone with with that sort of a mentality and that's the reasoning, 
you know, I know that's an extreme example, but it's a real one that we heard in testimony where, where they were using that as the reason that they need to be able to give them the puberty blockers and whatnot. I, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss for words if that was the reasoning behind a parent. And so those are the cases that we're trying to prevent and from happening. If that child truly is um, feeling like they are of a different sex, they can do that when they're of age and can make their own decisions. There also is a lot of evidence that, that when, when children go through this at a young age, uh, and even in their early teens and whatnot, they often regret it later in life. We all go through tr- – I've had troubled times in my life, Jeff. I'm, I'm sure you have. We all, I mean, we all go through it. And to, to have those decisions made for us or strongly encouraged for us even under those trying circumstances, we don't think is right. And I think to let that child grow, mature, and, and have an opportunity with the, the sex that, that God gave them I think is, is, is important. As far as – gender affirming care you know one of the things i think some people are concerned about is just counseling uh, making sure that is still accessible and i don't think any of this uh, precludes a psychologist talking to a 12 year old about these issues right and that was that was actually one of the discussions that that came up is to say hey you know is this going to preclude a, a school counselor from being able to have a discussion and i mean that was part of in that that don't say gay bill that they thought that that yeah. was gonna gonna and which by the way the bill did not say don't say gay yeah um, the but that was one of the things that they thought in that bill uh, that that would that that would prevent from happening and I don't think that's it, the intent at all um, we just we don't want and, and again it's been seen in different corners of the state where we we've had some uh, in, in the school systems and whatnot some pushing of of, of certain I'm gonna call them more political beliefs than than really counseling beliefs. And uh, it's not on the norm, and it's not happening here in Iberia Parish. And, and I, I really believe it's the extreme cases, but that's their reasoning for bringing the bills. Um, it's, it's, they're not making it up. It's trying to be proactive to try and fix it for, for, for the entire state. Uh, so that's kind of... Uh, yeah, I, I, we've all had things we didn't want to necessarily take to our parents. Uh, so it's nice to have someone we can talk to, whether it's a priest or a counselor or something like that and uh, then if you need to take it to your parents that's uh, another story but I, i'd hate to lose that uh, that teacher relationship or counselor uh, that kind of a thing no i agree with you i'm, I'm with you on that the um, fred mills was concerned about uh, the i think it was 100 million dollars that was taken out of the department of health uh, your thoughts uh, there? yeah so a matter of fact i talked to senator mills about this a couple of d- days ago a- after the fact I was hoping they were going to take $200 million out, to tell you the <laughs> truth. That's, you know, my, from a personal standpoint, that takes up almost 40% of our budget. I forget the number exactly what it is. Um, and if they have $15 billion or $18 billion, uh, for them to make a, a slight cut of, of – and I say a cut. LDH is still going to get more this year than they got last year. So when they use the word cut, you're not cutting their budget. If I cut K&E's budget – you're normally talking about what, what they're actually spending, not what they ask for. And so with these different departments, they come in and ask for all kind of uh, egregious amounts of money. And when you say, hey, no, you need to spend what you sp- spent last year, or slight, they look at it as a cut. So if LDH, let's just use an example. Let's say they had a $15 billion budget last year. And this year they're asking for $15 billion, $500 million. And you say, no, we can only give you $15 billion, $250 million. Where they go out publicly and say you're cutting them by 250 million, 
Yeah, that's not true. You've given them additional dollars. You're just not giving them everything they asked for. And that's the case this, this go around. We just didn't give LDH everything they asked for. They're still getting more money than, than they got last year. And in addition, um, the, the money that they, that they cut was supposed to be for marketing and advertising for the rolling of people off, rolling people out of uh, on the Medicaid side of things. And so they're telling it's going to spend, cost $100 million to do that. And Senator Mills could come on and talk for himself. But what he was basically saying is that the, the Medicaid mandates that we cer- spend certain amount of monies on marketing and advertising. And he thought that that $100 million would jeopardize marketing and advertising that is required by the federal government. I think there's two sides to that. I mean, if we met it last year, the dollar amounts last year, we probably should be able to make it again this year without having to spend that additional $100 million. Speaking of Senator Mills, he has turned out. uh, Looks like it's going to be an interesting Senate race. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to make an endorsement or if you've got a, a dog in that fight yet, but... Uh, your thoughts uh, on that one, one the seat itself, because um, with redistricting, things changed a little bit um, as far as some of those uh, seats. But your thoughts on uh, this autumn? Yeah, so no, get your popcorn ready. Yeah. That's my first comment. <laughs> it, it, ought, it ought to be interesting. The district has changed. You know, we previously that district went north of I-10 into St. Landry Parish, if I'm not mistaken. It does not anymore. They moved that percent of the population into Lafayette Parish. It already had a little bit of Lafayette Parish. Now it has a little bit more. Uh, Iberia and St. Martin make up 75% of the district. I think, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Iberia uh, might be at 45%. Um, Lafayette at 25%. And, and um, uh, St. Saint, Saint Martin Parish is going to be the remaining 30% if I just did my math right. If I may not have done it 100% correct. But so... It's, it's still a largely Iberia-St. Martin seat. Uh, Lafayette now plays a, a big part in it. Um, you know, you got two good candidates, in Representative Blake Miguez and, and Hugh Andre. I'm friend, friends with both of them, childhood friends with Hugh. I've uh, been political friends with Blake ever since getting involved with politics. Both good guys, and um, I think, uh, I think we've got a good, good, good bucket to choose from. There you go. On another uh, note uh, regarding redistricting, uh, Supreme, United States Supreme Court you know, overturning the Alabama uh, issue as far as minority-majority districts. Uh, Alabama and Louisiana were on parallel situations there. What do you think is next? So we're waiting to see. It's really a wait-and-see game. There's a, a number of options that could happen. We have a federal judge here in Louisiana, Judge Shelley Dick, and it's, it's kind of going to be in her court, no pun intended, on, on – um, on what we do next and what she says we do next. Uh, she could redraw the lines herself. Uh, she could force us to go into another session to draw to give us an opportunity to draw them again. Um, she could let the she could let the case the so she basically there's a stay on the case right now and they were waiting on the Alabama case. She could let that case the current case move forward um, and, and see where where it goes. There's two sides to it. There's two separate suits. One is on the congressional side. The other, there's another suit on the House and Senate maps as well. So the, the one that's getting the all, state house, the state house and, and state Senate. Senate. Yeah. So the one that's getting all the attention is the congressional. Yeah. One. But that one is not as emerge is much of emergency as the, the the local House and Senate seats, the Louisiana House and Senate seats. And so, I'll be curious to see how she she handles it. We're, we're not sure at this point. Uh, it's anyone's guess, but. We're hoping to hear something in the next couple of weeks to where we can have some direction on which we 
we move. We still think the maps that we have, and the, and the case in Alabama is not exact. When you look at the details, there's the, there's some similarities, but not as many in the the final ruling. It's just, it, it's not as many similarities as we were thinking, and and I think that Judge Dick was thinking, and so we kind of have a separate uh, issues here in Louisiana that they didn't have in Alabama, and it didn't point to those separate issues that we have here in Louisiana. I, I think she's going to let the court kind of proceed and, and take it from there. I think that would be the, the wisest thing to do. It seems as though, and again, the number of districts is different. They have seven congressional seats. We have six, uh, but our percentage of minorities is a little bit bigger, too. Yeah, and, and a, a lot of it is, some of it's percentage and some of it's geography. And True. I mean, can you make the districts if, you know, just using a, and if you had every third house was a minority, it'd be tough for you to make any minority districts in, sure. in Louisiana. Um, so it's going to be curious to see what, what she says and, and, and what goes forward. I'm, I'm waiting to see. I sit on the House and Governmental Affairs Committee that handles redistricting, so I was in the middle of all of it. And, um, you know, I, we're not, I talk with staff, talk with, with our chairman there. We're not sure what she's going to do, and so we're kind of waiting to see what, what's happening. There you go. And uh, your uh, front, uh, your district, uh, any challengers that you're hearing? No, not that I know of. Hopefully, you know, it, it would stay that way. But uh, if, if they are, I'm ready to, I'm ready to rumble. Um, they've got a, a, a nice war chest, as they say, ready to go, and a, and a lot of energy. Uh, the district has changed a, a little bit. Um, you know, Marcus Bryant's district used to come through, uh, like, the Spanish Lake area and into the West End all the way to Jefferson Terrace or a little bit beyond Jefferson Terrace, like the Tabayard Street. He was light on his minority numbers, so now his district, it does not come through at, at Spanish Lake. It goes around Iberia Parish through St. Martin Parish, like almost in the, the Dakota Homes area, and, and makes its way. There's some big, big precincts there, and makes its way all the way to Generet, and he picks up the minority population in Generet and enters Iberia Parish that way. So a lot of those districts uh, or precincts that I had before, Marcus has now, uh, and then Blake and I exchanged some in the the Youngs on the rep side of things on the in the Youngsville Koto area. So my district is a little bit more compact now, but it, it but it comes all the way through New Iberia and into the Young, Youngsville Broussard area. Um, and so it's 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 my our numbers are all the same pretty much from a if you're looking from a Republican Democrat a majority minority standpoint, but the 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 shapes of them look a little bit different. So, are you saying Marcus though isn't in the city itself? Marcus Bryant? No, it yeah. is. It is. It comes in through Generet. So it, okay. it enters whereas whereas before it came in on the Lafayette side of New Iberia. Now gotcha. it comes in on the Generet side. Gotcha. So he basically enters the city of New Iberia from a different direction. Okay. But no, he's still got a big piece. Representative Bryant still has a big piece of, of, of New Iberia. Heard a comment from Jim Donlin, the insurance commissioner, uh, say well, at least they didn't do any harm. As far as the uh, yeah, yeah. the legislature on the insurance industry, any plus or minuses there? Yeah, look, I know they they say we have sleepy Joe Biden in the in the, in the presidency. We got sleepy Jim Donlin and the insurance commissioner deal. Um, the uh, and when he makes comments like that, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't help anything out. We've given him pretty much everything that he's asked for, um, and so we want to. We're hoping the insurance rates will start coming down soon. We've been told we have nine new carriers that have come into Louisiana, and they're starting to buy policies off of citizens. And uh, we're hoping that once they start buying these policies and start getting into the market, the next stage is where they become competitive 
and we start seeing a reduction in our insurance costs. Uh, you know, I'm hearing from people every day that they can't afford their insurance, uh, people trying to sell their homes. No one will buy it because when they get quotes on the insurance, they can't afford the insurance, the new coverage. And so something's got to be done on that. And, and auto insurance, which is, has been there, uh, you know, a, a subject for a while now, we haven't seen a decrease there. So, um, you know, hopefully a new insurance, you know, Donlin that's not running for re-election, hopefully our new insurance commissioner, commissioner whoever he or she is, uh, has some good ideas. Um, all we can do is, is appropriate the dollars to, to help provide the incentive for the carriers and to put policies in place that, that make it you know, less able for people to be sued and, and to try and keep the claim costs down uh, from, the, from that tort standpoint. Uh, but you know, we, we're, we're playing the cards that we're dealt, uh, but we're hoping to see some, some decreases here in the near future. There was some talk, uh, and I'm not sure, I guess it would have had to have been a constitutional amendment of making that an appointed position rather than an elected. Yes, yeah, some states do that. So a lot of states have the insurance commissioner is appointed. I'm not sure of the history there. You know, we used to have the insurance rating commission that handled all the rating systems here in Louisiana, and uh, they abolished that because they said there was a lot of corruption inside of it, and and now it's all on the insurance commissioner. And that was in the early 2000s. Yeah, I was going to say it's since I've been here. Yeah, and so I don't think insurance premiums have gone down since they abolished the rating commission. I don't know <laughs> if that's I don't know if that's the reasoning for it, but um, we, something needs to change because what we have isn't working. Gotcha. Uh, speaking of constitutional amendments, uh, anything uh, that the voters uh, should yeah. be looking for? Uh, I don't have a list of them right now. The one that I'm, I am familiar with is Representative Miguez's is, um, is, is one, that, what they call Biden bucks, not Biden, excuse me, Zucker bucks, to keep private dollars out of our elections. Right, right. So I know that one's going to be on the ballot. There's a couple of others. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Gotcha. Anything else uh, you think is uh, of note? Uh, no, I think, again, I think overall it was a, a good session. It was an intense one. It was only 60 days versus normal 90 days. And so uh, at the end. It, was that every other year, though? Yeah. 60, 90? Yeah, so yeah. We, the 60 day session is a fiscal session. We can only fi- file five non fiscal bills. And so they limited to 60 days. But it, it seems that you know, this one was much more intense than the previous ones. And the way that the session ended. Uh, definitely didn't help that any either. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I just wonder, and I, I looked at, I uh, got an email from uh, the governor's office today on the bills he signed, and I'm looking at all these. Like, it, it just amazes me that every year there's 2,000 different bills that go through. Are you spending the time on the things you need to be spending time on? Yeah, I mean, look, that's everybody, you know, one of the things we say in Baton Rouge is everybody represents their district. And so what's important to me in New Iberia and in Acadiana might not be important to somebody in Shreveport or in, you know, in, in Alexandria. And so there might be a bill that's affecting our people locally that I think is important. And the rest of the state might not care. They might not, you know, they might not think it's important. So, uh, you know, I think that's all in the, the eyes of the author of, of the bills and, and the people that they're representing. Most of the bills that, that I file, I don't come up with the ideas. It's normally constituents. Uh, or, you know, some business or some policy that we need to change. I don't wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh, I got this great idea. Someone comes to me with this, these bills, and, and that's how they end up uh, on the table. And so, you know, whether they're important to the state or not, it's important to somebody. And I think and that's, that's part of the process. And those that aren't, we need to weed them out in the committees and in the House and not let them pass. Yeah, I, I find it amazing, too. Uh, 
Uh, I know you guys had to deal with something uh, that dealt with just the city of Berwick. Yeah, right. No, you, you know, and uh, housing authority or something, uh, member. No, it was the civil service uh, commission uh, for Berwick. Yeah, so like you in, know? In, that, in that situation, but again, it's all embedded in our constitution that we dictate civil service. And so if they would be considered civil servants, they would have had to, you know, be part of their pension system and it increases cost for that for that commission. So they were trying to get themselves out, out of it. One bill that I did not mention that is a really big for one of our our, um, our local businesses. We now have a state nut. Oh, okay. And that is the pecan. Okay. So, so J.D. Regard at Cane River Pecan, I saw him in the Capitol a handful of times. Um, being his nutty self, mm-hmm. and uh, chief nut officer, chief nut officer, promo- and so um, he did a, a great job promoting it. it Representative Lance Harris from the Alexandria area carried the bill, and uh, JD was there uh, showing showing off uh, his stuff. And, and we, we now have a state nut, and that's the pecan. Hard to believe it's taken this long to have a state nut, and it seems the pecan would be the natural. Yeah, I thought either one of two things: the state nut could either be the pecan, or it could be JD. There. <laughs> One or the other. Very good. Anything else before we let you go? No, I think we're good. We covered a lot. If uh, if you need me to come back on and answer any other questions or if you have anything, I'll be happy to do so. Appreciate it, as always. State Representative Bo Boyer. Uh, enjoy, uh, well, I know uh, you've got uh, your full-time job to worry about now, too. Yep. But appreciate you coming by. And, and go Tigers in the World Series. Yeah, you're right.